How's everybody doing? I feel like it's kind of a writ of passage to make some sort of joke about like how long your sermon's going to be, but I have like three pages and can barely squeeze like 10 minutes out of it, so you'll be fine. <laughs> so, um, so tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, a small section of verses in <clears throat> Philippians. So as you uh, pull out your Bibles and, and turn to Philippians 4, I'll kind of give a little bit of background on uh, Philippians. Philippians was written by Paul, and he's writing to the church um, at Philippi to encourage them to live their lives in a countercultural way, to encourage them in that way. The book was written most likely around 62 AD, and the book kind of reads like a um, kind of like a missionary support letter where he's uh, writing to those who are spiritually and financially supporting him and giving them updates and encouragement on uh, his missionary journeys and, and admonishing them and the things that they should do. Um, so if you have your Bibles open to Philippians 4, we're just going to read the first, um, I'm sorry, the uh, verses 4 through 9 and um, see, what, see what Paul is uh, instructing us in this. So verse 4 starts out, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in any, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Verse 9. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So as we read those um, in this small section of verses, Paul is uh, really calling the Philippians to live their life in a countercultural way. And I think, based on their culture, based on our culture, if we kind of unpack this, the, Paul's going to give us a number of ways that we can really stand out and live a different way than what our culture uh, dictates to us. Um, so, the first way that Paul calls us to live a countercultural life is a call to fix your focus. In verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Call Paul's for us to place our joy and our contentment in um, something that is not our circumstances, something that's not dependent on the outcome of our life, but something that is based in the sovereign, loving God. This is something that's always available to us, regardless of our circumstances, uh, regardless of what difficulty life brings, and this is what we should place our joy and contentment and our hope in, not if X, Y, or Z happens. Paul's declaration of rejoicing in the Lord is, um, is really different than the world's philosophy of uh, you must have you know, self-love, acceptance, accept yourself, accept everything 
um, that's within you. Um, we're told that if we don't love ourselves, that we'll never uh, truly be happy. But really, the gospel says that I am so terribly flawed that Jesus had to die for me. But it says that Jesus died for me. <laughs> it says that I am um, so much worth to Christ that he was happy to do so. We know this is true for Paul because he lived it. This isn't a self-help program that Paul wants to sell you or purchase or something that he is trying to get some uh, sort of gain out of. Um, Paul, if you, if you don't know who Paul was during his missionary, he was, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was robbed. Um, and if anyone had any reason to be a little bit miffed, it was probably Paul. He probably could have lived with a chip on his shoulder and no one would have really questioned why. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. This is a testament to what Christ can do in the life of a believer. Number two, Paul calls us, uh, gives us the call to be reasonable. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Perhaps a, a better understanding of this word gentle would be uh, moderation or reasonableness. It's kind of like he's saying, um, let your level-headed demeanor be known to everyone in your community. Don't be known as someone who rushes to extremes or who jumps the gun on things. Uh, be level-headed in your judgment. Uh, be a man or woman of your word. Seek to understand a situation before you jump in and give your opinion or your, your feelings about that. Um, or you draw conclusions. Avoid animosity. Judge charitably. The last part of the verse it says the Lord is near. That's just a, uh, a reminder of a future event that's going to happen when Jesus returns. The, you know, the return of the Lord is near. And this memory of this coming event should produce the winsome, gentle nature that Paul is advocating in the sentence before. <clears throat> Number three, Paul calls us to know peace. In verse six, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul tells us not to be anxious for anything, and we know he has the authority to tell us these things, because again, Paul was probably someone who could have a fair bit of anxiety based on uh, everything that people had done to him and wanted to do to him. It's easy to worry when we think that we're, we have to control everything and that we have to manufacture the outcome that we would want. Um, but in the end of the day, we understand that worrying really doesn't change anything. It just kind of makes us upset and it doesn't actually help the outcome. One author writes, worry implies that we don't quite trust God as big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. So we can come to our Father with our cares, our anxieties, our requests, because he alone can care for us better than we can care for ourselves or anyone else can care for us. In the next verse, Paul comes out and says that this is not 
of our willpower, but God's that will guard our hearts and minds. He says in verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is beyond our comprehension. It's because this is a God thing. It doesn't make sense that Paul has peace. It doesn't make sense that Paul can rejoice, but he does because it's not of our comprehension. It's a God thing. And finally, number four, Paul gives us a call to right thinking. In verse eight, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. If you think about it, it's uh, really easy to become a slave to our own minds, thinking about whatever we want to think about and dwelling on that. Um, you know, culture tells us to think about and pursue whatever it is that makes us the most happy. Whatever makes you happy, do that thing. Do it the most, and uh, you do you. Find your truth, and um, if anyone disagrees with you, then you know, forget them. Um, you know, the world tells us that the most harmful thing possible, the most harmful thing conceivable is restraint. But Paul offers a different solution. Rigid control of the part of our minds that can go so, so easily go unchecked. The mind. Martin Luther once said, you cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. It's kind of like saying, you can't control everything that pops into your mind, but you can control if it stays there or not. Rightly so, we tend to be very concerned about actions, but in reality, actions are just the natural path of what we allow to flourish in our mind. The battleground begins in our minds. Verse 9 says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul closes out this section with the most powerful form of persuasion. He, he says, follow my example. He says, yeah, you know, I've told you all these things. These are my instructions. This is what you should do, but follow my example. It's, um, he's not just saying, do as I say. He's saying, do as I say and, and follow me as I do them myself. So he's writing to these people and he's saying, I love you. Please do these things. Follow me. And he's giving them this blueprint in this short section of verses on how to live a countercultural life. In summary, he calls us to fix our focus by placing our joy in the Lord and not in our circumstances. He calls us to be reasonable by being gentle and level-headed with others just as God has been with us. He calls us to no explainable peace, no unexplainable peace by giving every one of our anxious thoughts and requests to God. He calls us to have right thinking by dwelling on things that mirror God's goodness and God's character. So as we go about our lives, we try to live a life that's countercultural to today's 
society in today's culture. Uh, people might think you're kind of weird or that you're kind of crazy or it might put a spotlight on you, but use the spotlight to tell them about the cross. Use the spotlight to say, yeah, you know, you and me, we are so, so unlovable, but the good news is that God loved us so much that Jesus came to die for us. And he doesn't want to keep things from you. He doesn't want to harm you, but he wants your greatest good. And, and this is just kind of the best expression of that greatest good that I can create, is living in this way. So, uh, in conclusion, we can know unexplainable peace and have this laser focus on living a countercultural life because of Christ.